Last week I preached our vision message. And if you haven't listened to that, you need to. You need to go on our app and listen to that on our website. Um, because if you're a part of CityGate, you need to know what you're getting into for 2019. And I think that we communicated it fairly clearly uh, last week. But during that time, there was a picture that I used and um, I talked about getting out of the stands. God didn't create you to be a fan. He created you to be a player on the field. This player on the field of faith. And I used a, a, a picture with this year the Miami Dolphins in the last second of the game beat the New England Patriots against all odds. Run a kickoff back. And I started to let that bother me because, you know, J.J. and Jerry, they're some of my mighty men and they sit right here and they got their New England Patriots jersey on. But then I thought, you know, they go to the Super Bowl almost every stinking year and I don't... But I had a participant in first service that took me seriously and found his jersey and wore it to our first service. And it was his first, or one of his first Sundays. There's Jax. And he had his Gronk jersey on. <laughs> so I just wanted to make up with JJ and Jerry and say, you know, about the dolphin thing last week. Well, we'll maybe next year for us. But, you know, last week we started in this vision series. And we started talking about six pillars. These foundational things that we could build our faith upon and that we as CityGate were never going to change. And one of those things was called radical redemption. You know, it's that moment. And if you haven't, I think Nelson gave us permission to put it on our Facebook page and maybe even our website. But he gave his testimony last week about how God transformed this man's life. And he talked about having an AR-15 in his back, and that's the moment he realized he was going to get free. Even though it was the moment that he was getting arrested, it was the moment he was going to be free. And he talked about the transformation that God had done in his life and how he is walking as a righteous, godly man today. And I just wanted to, one, if you see Nelson and his wife, please thank them for their unedited testimony that allowed them to be vulnerable for us because a lot of people's lives were changed because of that. And I want to bring you up to speed. That didn't happen yesterday. That was like eight or ten years ago. So this wasn't a jailhouse, let me get saved to try to get out of trouble. This is a real life transformation of God that changed him forever. So let's give the Lord a praise offering. Now we're going to do our best to get to communion today. But in first service, the Holy Spirit of God started moving so powerfully among the congregation and moving us to a moment of prayer that we had two people get saved and a lot of people get healed today on the inside. And we weren't able to get there, but we're going to try our best to get there today in second service. But can you imagine being radically redeemed? And sometimes we as Christians, uh, you know, especially in first service, there's a lot of first servicers that have walked in their faith for 40, 50, and 60 years. And all they've ever known is church. And I brought them to the awareness. We have people in our second service that this is their first time in church today. You know, every single, amen, every single Sunday we have these, these folks that find their way to Second and Jackson Street. And we have to be very careful that we don't start using Christian words and Christianese to, to really confuse because we can't take for granted everybody's been to Sunday school all their life. Can somebody again say amen? amen? 
So what we did was we decided that at CityGate we were going to make sure that we cut to the chase and just verbally said, we don't think we're perfect. Matter of fact, we not only don't think we're perfect, we think Christian, the Christian community got in trouble and really took two steps back when we tried to act like we were perfect. Because those were the moments that the world looked at us and said, they're not perfect, they're hypocrites. Because they, try, they say they live one way and then live another. So and if you're here for the very first time, I want you to know you're in a room full of wonderful people that love God, but none of us are perfect. Let me prove it to you this morning about the power of radical redemption. How many of you that call yourself saved because you may be testifying to someone that isn't, that if you have been saved and you've prayed the prayer and walked the walk, and yet you still have had to ask God to forgive you of something since that moment, will you say amen? Amen. Now, if you're sitting next to somebody that did not speak just then, be very, very cautious. Because Scripture tells us, for all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. All. So... When we use a word like redemption, a lot of times we think that everybody's been in church all their life and they know what that, that's about. And we associate that word almost solely to the power of salvation. And I'm going to talk about that, but it means so much more. Matter of fact, in Scripture, the definition for, for uh, redemption is the primary definition is to buy back. And I'm learning this lesson. I thought I had solved the mystery, but I called them during in-between services and found out that I did not solve the mystery because over the course of the last two days, I've lost a $178 pair of white Costa sunglasses. Ooh, yeah, that's what I said. And I thought I, I, I woke up this morning like in, in freak-out mode going, where's my glasses? And I, I remembered Michelle for my birthday. Thank you for all the birthday wishes. Um, for my birthday, she, she said, you're looking shabby. Let me take you to men's warehouse and get you some nice clothes. <laughs> and I thought I left them in the dressing room. And I called, and if I did leave them, somebody now owns a pair of white $178 pair of Costa sunglasses. And, but... The power of the story is not in the, what I lost. See, to buy back means that you've lost it. But my intentions were that if I called Men's Warehouse and they had my glasses, that I would just show up and they would hand them back to me. And I would probably try to find whoever found them and encourage them with a small gift of appreciation. I never once intended to pay $178 for those glasses again. But the power of God's grace and love towards you and me is that every single time that he, you have ever asked for forgiveness, he was willing to pay with the blood of his only son for the power of your redemptive purposes in your life. That he was willing to buy it back time and time again, knowing that you were going to fall short next Thursday and still bought you back again. And the second definition is to bring back to its original form and intent. That's why it's so powerful about Scripture because most of us, even if we haven't been around church at all, have, have heard about a story about this big garden that God one time created and He created two people in them and one, both of those people failed miserably and sin entered into the world and I've reaped the consequences of the devastation of that mistake in my own life and in your life you have as well. Amen? But God was so intent 
on bringing you back to the original purpose of creation in your life to reveal the glory and the purposes of God and the will of God through your life. That he sent his only begotten son not just to die on a cross and resurrect from the dead, which is the power of the gospel. And I'm going to speak to that in just a moment. But he did that and was associated even in scripture as becoming the second Adam. Of replacing the mistake of the first Adam with the righteousness of the second Adam so you and I could be called the children of God. Doesn't that excite you? Because that's good news for me. Because if, as long as you're taking that, that thought, a lot of times if you're not really aware of the, of the accuracy of Scripture, we can sometimes present salvation as a reward you earn. And all you got to do to earn it is run a small race, a dash. You just got to run from wherever you are to the front of some building somewhere and repeat a prayer that somebody tells you to pray and you cross the finish line of salvation. You've earned it. No, I'm sorry, my friend, you have not. Because salvation was never intended to be earned. It's not a reward. It's a gift. See, a gift, the power of a gift is you don't have to do anything to get it. And let's just say, now I'm going to go on record, same record that I went on in first service, to tell you that I do not have the means to do this example. It is simply a made-up example, an analogy. Look at your neighbor and say an analogy. Okay, if I had the resources, the financial resources to write each and every one of you a check, that at the rece receiving of that check, you would consider yourself financially free, whatever that number means to you. Again, touch your neighbor, say analogy. <laughs> That's a good word today. If I wrote that check to each and every one of you and you put it in an envelope and I gave it to you as a gift, you know what? It doesn't do you any good as long as it's in that envelope. See, the one thing that you have to do when you get a gift, you have to open it up and activate it. And on that check would have my signature and the authority of that signature declares to my banking establishment that whomever presents a check that is written out to them and presents my signature has the authority to cash it as long as there's money in the bank. That's the tragedy of a God that wrote you an eternal check that said with the with the sin debt that you've accumulated and all mankind has accumulated, I have paid it and wrote the check and dipped the pen in the blood of my very own son. And he went to a cross for you and resurrected from the dead for you. And I've wrote each and every one of you a check. But unfortunately, some people leave it in the envelope and never open it. Because they think they have to earn it. See, Scripture tells us in Romans that it is a gift. For the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. And he, Paul reiterates it in Ephesians chapter 2, 8, 9. For by grace you have been saved through faith. This is not of your own doing. It is a gift of God, of God not the results of works, so that no one may boast. What he is telling you and what is such good news about the power of the gospel is none of you could have earned your salvation. Now I saw him come in in second service. I used him in first service unbeknownst to him. And if there's ever been a person that was righteous and I have seen lived consistently righteous. I mean anybody that knows Gene Pigott knows he's lived righteously. It seems like all of his life. But even he can't earn his way into heaven. 
because none of us would ever have been good enough. And so what we have sometimes misinformed the population of earth is that it is a reward to be earned. And God starts loving you the moment you start praying. But the power of scripture says, no, he didn't start loving you when you when you said the prayer. What he did was invoke the privilege of your family inheritance when you come into the fellowship of the family. But he don't love you any more than he loved you before you prayed the prayer. Because this book right here says that he loved you with all of his heart while you you were yet a sinner. So he didn't love you anymore because you decided to pray a prayer. You started to invoke the privilege of family when you said the prayer. And the blessings of being in the family and the intimacy of relationship that's available to you after you've come to the knowledge of Jesus being your, your Savior all of a sudden starts to open up the power of radical redemption. Because radical redemption means that we believe that there is nobody in this building and there's nobody in our city that can't be saved. That they're not too far gone. Have you ever heard, maybe you've even said it, that I'm too dark, too sinful, too messed up, too broken, too, too evil, too wicked to ever be qualified to have a relationship with God. And if you haven't said it yourself, you know somebody that has. But the problem is, is the Bible tells us a story of a man that probably would have qualified for that in Acts chapter 9. And the unedited version of this story is incredible because it could relate to so many of us. And so many times we as pastors and preachers try to edit the Bible to make it more palatable for us so we could understand that we can kind of help God out where he may have left some things out. Now nah, let's don't do that today. Let's just read the text. And let's not make up the story about Saul becoming Paul. Let's just tell the true story of how it happened. And it starts out in verse 1 like this. Let's see here. Now as he went on his way, he approached Damascus and suddenly a light from heaven shone around him. And falling to the ground... Nope, I'm going to go back. That's verse 3. Let's go up. But Saul, still breathing threats and murder. Touch your neighbor and say threats and murder. How many of you will agree with me by saying amen that threat, people that threaten other people and murder other people are bad people? Amen? That's pretty, pretty solid theology. If you threaten or murder somebody, you're bad. Yeah, the story reads that, but Saul, Saul, still breathing threats and murder against the disciples of the Lord, went to the high priest and asked him for letters to the synagogues at Damascus, so that if he found any belonging to the way, men or women, touch your same neighbor and say, men or women, he might bring them bound to Jerusalem. Here's this dude that is killing folks. With no discretion, men or women, Binding them up, putting them in prison, and many of them are losing their life, whether they're in prison because the conditions of the prison were not great, or going all the way through proving their faith through execution, are actually losing their lives because of the faith. And this dude, going to Damascus, still, I like how the Bible says he was still doing what he was doing wrong. And that's where Jesus shows up. So it wasn't that he started getting feeling bad and feeling guilty and convicted about his sins and all of a sudden he starts to try to shape up and Jesus wraps his arm around him and says, hey brother Saul, I saw you trying to do a little better. No, he just showed up in the middle of his mess. 
as far away from God as you possibly could be. And all of a sudden the Bible continues. Now as he went on his way, he approached Damascus and suddenly a light from heaven shone around him and falling to the ground, he heard a voice saying, Saul, 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 why are you persecuting me? And he said, who are you, Lord? And he said, I am Jesus whom you who you are persecuting. But rise and enter the city and you will be told what to do. From this moment, and I know that you got a real picture of Jesus and your picture of Jesus is probably more accurate than my picture of Jesus. And you have him like you see him on TV with the white robes and the blue sash and he has the halo always. And he just is like almost semi-floating. He, ne you know, he never has a bad thought or anything. And you can keep that Jesus in your story, but you're not preaching today. So my imagination is going to run away with my Jesus. <laughs> Because I read out of the ESV mostly for, uh, for us to be able to, to, you know, easily equate the English language with the power of the gospel. But I like some of the old transitions because some of the old translations tell us that Jesus in this story knocked him off of the donkey he was on. And I know that your Jesus, the one that floats, just eased up to him and kind of went like this. Like, I don't mean to do this, but I have to knock you off your horse now or your donkey I uh, hope it doesn't hurt. I don't picture that Jesus. I'm picturing the spinning back kick Jesus that said, you've been messing with my folks and I got to bring you to the awareness of who you really are so the donkey can see me and you're going to hear me, but I'm going to stand here and when you get close enough, I'm going to jump up with my superpowers, back kick you off that donkey and have a conversation when you, with you when you hit the ground. Kicked him so hard he went blind. That's what I like. Hey brother, I know that really hurt and I meant it to. I had to really get crazy to get your attention because you were doing this say it telling other people you were doing it for God and I had to tell you who I really am see you've misinformed people that I was not the Messiah so I had to come and meet with you face to face yeah that was me kicking you <laughs> oh it hurt good <laughs> we're getting somewhere I know you can't see right now and I need you to get up. Nah, I'm not helping you up. You need to get your people around you. They think you're going crazy because you can hear me, but they can't. And you need to get them up, tell them how you went blind, and then stumble into the city and hold on for three days. Now, that could preach all by itself. But most of us aren't Saul. See, God also needed an Ananias. And Ananias is a cool story because Ananias, at the same time, how many of you know Jesus could be two places at the same time? So he's spinning back, kicking Saul off of his donkey, and at the same time, sitting down, in my imagination, like at the dinner table with Ananias, he's having a vision. And I love my imagination in this thing because I, I, I picture Jesus sitting down with Ananias and saying, hey, Ananias, man, I need you to do something for me. He's like, God, I, I'm your guy. I'm a prophet. I'm a priest. What do you need me to do? He said, hey, I need you to run down because there's somebody that's really going to have a transformation. I need you to run down to a street called Straight. I know exactly where that is. That used to be my old stomping grounds. That's my hood. I know that place. 
Yeah, and, and, and there's a guy named Judas that owns a house there. And I need you to go there. And I've got this big assignment for you. Go pray for the guy in there. He's blind right now. He's bruised up. I, I kicked him. Um, <laughs> but I need you to go and pray for his healing. And his name, Saul of Tarsus. Oh, wait a minute. I heard about this guy. You've made a mistake. He's mean. He kills people like me. I, I, in my imagination, I see him turning like to his wife and going, Honey, I told you that pizza was bad before we ate it. I thought Jesus just told me to go pray for a guy named Saul. Yeah, that guy. The one that kills people. And, he doesn't, and God doesn't edit the story at all. Listen to it. I'm going to read it to you out of Acts 9. And then I'm going to come back down there to that chair. And now there was a disciple at Damascus named Ananias. The Lord said to him in a vision, Ananias, and he said, Here I am, Lord. And the Lord said to him, Rise and go to a street called Straight, and at the house of Judas look for a man of Tarsus named Saul. For behold, he is praying, and he has seen a vision of a man named Ananias come and lay his hands on him so that he may regain his sight. But Ananias answered, Lord, I have heard from many about this man, how much evil he has done to your saints in Jerusalem. And here he has authority from the high priest to buy and all who call upon your name. But the Lord said to him, Go, for he is a chosen instrument of mine. Carry my name before the Gen he will carry my name before the Gentiles and kings and children of Israel, for I will show him how much he will suffer for the sake of my name. Now, let me get back down here for a moment because there's some powerful language here. He tells accurately... He's responding back to God and he's saying, God, I've heard from a lot of people this is a bad man. He's going to kill me if I go. He's got letters. And if I go there and tell him, I've been sent here by Jesus and he wants me to lay hands on you, he kills people that say that. But I believe that there's nobody out too far gone if you tell me to go. I'll be the person that will believe that anybody can get saved, even Saul. And here's the thing. The most powerful passage in this whole text, Colt, is he was accurate in his description of Saul, but he was accurate only according to the outside in his present condition. But God saw him. What men called evil and bad, God said, I call it chosen. That's why we never can just read a book by its cover. Because you may pass by somebody today. Oh man, this is, this is the stuff I preach about. You may, you may run by somebody today and they have a sign that says, we'll work for food. You know they ain't going to go nowhere with you to work. <laughs> and they're just sitting there on the overpass. And so many times that we sometimes can become so hardened in our heart because of the, what we feel is people trying to, to kind of circumvent the system. And sometimes we assign them as positions of laziness. And everything that we have thought of may be true about the brother or sister holding the sign. But be careful because what you call the situations of the current circumstances of their lives, Jesus may be calling chosen. And that cat may be able to preach you under that seat you're sitting in, just given the opportunity for pow the power of transformation and redemption to take hold in his life. Come on, Come on. That's why when I look at somebody like that, I go, man, that may be the next T.D. Jakes. And I cautiously, with awe and wonder of the power of God, 
Say, brother or sister, I got something for you that you can get rid of that sign. I don't have a job and we can take care of your hunger needs if we need to go to McDonald's. But there's a Jesus that can get you off this corner. See, because, well, pastor, I've done some bad things. You kill people? Yes, women. Saul did. And God saved him. Not only saved him, redeemed him, bought him back, but dipped that hand that once was the hand that had the authority to kill and dipped it in the pen of grace and allowed him to write 13 books of the New Testament. That's, that's a place where you should touch 10 people and say, hey, if God can do that for that crazy man, he certainly can save me. So touch your neighbor and say, there's nobody too far gone. <laughs> but you know what? That's only half the story of redemption. Because most of us have either experienced the power of salvation or we know somebody and we've been a part of CityGate for so long, we've seen so many radical stories like Nelson's AR-15 in my back and I got saved. Now I'm a man of God. He was welcoming kids up in children's ministry this morning. Him and his wife, they were like, come on in. And I'm telling you, if, I, if there's something going on with me, I get them to pray. Because those people can pray. You've been desperate enough. You've seen God work in, in and through you. See, you know something about somebody, not that they've had to walk through something, but did they survive it? See, it's one thing to pray in the county jail. God, forgive me of my sins. I don't want to go to prison. But when the judge says you go to prison and you still stay safe, Oh, yeah. That's somebody right there that will tell you, hey, Pastor, I know like year two, I knew a God that could get me through. See, I, I can handle somebody praying for me like that because they've been somewhere. I don't want nobody praying for me by theory. You know, like I heard one time that God did something. I've never experienced any of that in my own life, but I've heard he did something and let me pray with you. I need them to find me somebody that he's done something for and with and said, hey man, I'm just radical enough to believe God can do anything. But redemption also means to bring back to its original form. And there's a scripture in Isaiah that we've built our, the foundation of our fellowship on for 33 years. Isaiah 61, the great exchange. Beauty for ashes. Oil of joy for mourning, gladness. And beauty for ashes, all kinds of exchanges. Great stuff, like from mourning to dancing. That's a, that's a good exchange. I once was sad because I lost something or lost somebody, and all of a sudden now I'm dancing with joy. Hey, that sounds like a pretty good deal. But the Bible there in Isaiah 61 also likens the power of redemption to a city. And that city had been taken out of now occupied hands. It now was no longer under enemy control. It was now under control of the people of God again, but there were still some places inside of it that were broken. It called it ruins. Said some of the cities in ruins. See, some of you may not have the testimony of Nelson. Most of you know my testimony and know that without the grace of God, I couldn't even be standing before you today. But you say, Pastor, I didn't really, I, you know, I, I didn't do drugs. I didn't even go to jail. Good. That's a great start for your testimony. <laughs> we like those testimonies too. Like, I've never been to jail. We like that. That's good. Right? Amen? And 
I really thought that when I said the prayer, I was going to get fixed. See, your eternity got fixed instantly. But most of the time, the process of healing you from the inside out, the broken places in your life is a process. I wish that God would, you know, do away with processes, Ralph, and just do everything instantly. Like, I forgave you of your sins. That, that happens instantly. Boom. And all the brokenness that you've accumulated over all of those years, you know, whatever your story is, whatever Josh's story is, whatever Melissa's story is, whatever everybody's story is, all of those things that, you know, I wish that when you said the prayer and you said amen, it was just over. But you're sitting next to somebody that probably got saved somewhere along the line and are still in the process of God restoring the ruins of their life. Little by little. See, here's the wonderful part. I need your attention for about four more minutes. One of our representative council members, one of the ladies of our church that reproduce godly women, I'd like to direct your attention to the screens, and let's hear Miss Nikki's story. I was born and raised in Spencer, Indiana, a small uh, farming community where everybody knew everybody. My aunts and uncles and grandparents for generations always attended the same church. They probably still are. So I graduated from high school and went to business college, graduated from business college, and married my high school sweetheart. We were married for 14 years and had two daughters. During that time, um, I found out that he was having multiple affairs. One um, that surfaced was that there was a, another child born in the same hospital, in the same room, one week after our youngest child was born. So after 14 years, that um, marriage was dissolved. And I had to move my little family to Bloomington, Indiana, and into government subsidized housing was completely different than anything we were ever used to. I had grown very bitter about my whole situation, that there was no, no one in my family was divorced. Um, it was shameful, it was embarrassing, and I was very angry. But uh, on the weekends that the kids were gone, we started to party, we started to um, drink and do drugs and do men. I wanted to hurt others like I'd been hurt. I wanted men's relationships to hurt. I wanted to be the one to love them and leave them. At the end of four years, I grew weary and tired of that life. And, um, it's, and that kind of just faded out. And I was still going to church. And I met another man. And I had decided, based on my experience, that maybe I really didn't know what love was. So I... Uh, decided that when I met this man, we had a lot of things in common. So we were married for 14 years, and he was having many affairs um, that started to surface. So we divorced. So I am now single for the first time in my life. And that was a very weird, unfamiliar place. But in that place is where God restored me. Um, God came to me on my porch on a Saturday morning. I was reading the Word, and I was trying to say, why 
what is wrong? I wanted out of the marriage. Why am I feeling like I'm feeling? And it was because it was I was in a very unfamiliar place. And I looked down at the Word, and I was reading the Bible, and the Word said, I've never left. I took him places. He didn't want to go, but he never left. And I said, it's just you and I, God, we're good. I'm not good with marriage. I'm not going to go through that ever again. We're good. And that's what I believed. I'm not sorry for all of that because God has really allowed me to use it to help restore other women. And it has grown to now uh, every Wednesday night um, I meet with, we have a group, we call ourselves the Victory Sisters. And I've seen women restored also uh, through other women's testimony as well as my own. And it is another rich gift that God has given me through my sordid life. I love my life. I love my uh, my Boaz. My God had to bring him all the way from down under on top. And we will celebrate 20 years married this year. God has completely restored everything. Even in my most rebellious state, um, he never left. He restored my soul. Rebellion is dead and gone and um, I really am living what I call a God tale, not a fairy tale. It is truly a God tale. I love my church family. I love being able to serve in this church. I love the church. I love that this church is full of misfits, just like me. I love my life. I totally love my life right now. So my advice is if you feel like, if the enemy is making you feel like you are so, so dirty, so bad, so ugly, it's a lie from the pits of hell. It's an absolute lie. There is nothing you can do that he turns his back on you. Nothing. Nothing. So if you're in that spot, if you're in that, if you feel it's too dark, too long, too much, too nasty, too dirty, it's a lie. He is in the dirty. He's just waiting on you to say, help. I went out. Is it worth it? Oh my goodness. I don't even know how to tell you how worth it is. I, I don't even have the words to tell you how much worth it is. There is no price. There's no price for coming back. There's no price. Jesus saw so much of Isaiah 61 that he picked up the scroll of Isaiah in Luke chapter 4 verses 18 and 19 and declared he's the one to fulfill that prophecy and began his earthly ministry. See, maybe you feel like Saul and you feel like you've done too much to be outside just beyond the reach of God. Or maybe you have found God as a savior but there's some broken, damaged places in your heart, like Nikki. You know, can you imagine being disappointed relationship after relationship and, and being abused and the abusers? I mean, she was very candid by saying, you know what, I, I, I caused her, I suffered some hurt and caused some pain. You can play me something. Eh? Maybe you've, you feel like you've been beat up by life and you know you're saved, but maybe there's some grief hurt, wounds. Maybe you were abused. 
Maybe there's something that you thought would go away when you asked Jesus to forgive you of your sins, but he said, it's more important for you to find the fellowship of my faithfulness as we walk through this day by day. Oh, I'm God and I could take it away, but you wouldn't understand the impact of the process. See, if God would have just took the broken woman and made the broken woman whole instantly, I wonder if Nikki would have had the passion to want to be the testimony to so many women to tell them God can make them whole too. See, it's where you walk into your life and you know that you're owned by God through the gift of salvation. But sometimes I know for my years and years of my faith, God has walked me through the peaks of the mountaintops and the depths of the valleys, revealing those places where he's working on me and healing me. Like, oh, David, there's some ruins here. And I want you to picture with me just for a moment the ruins of your life like a broken down house. And God has the power. We, you know, I, I, I don't want to associate God with magic, but we want him to magically just do things. Like he could just say, house be a mansion, boom, and it's there. But what's more important is when he identifies to you the condition of the house. And he says, today, Carmine, I'm going to enable you and empower you to clean the yard up. And all you got going for you is a little lawnmower you don't think can tackle. And you're having to raise it up. And the Holy Spirit's raising it up. Anybody ever cut high grass with a little bitty lawnmower? And you have to raise it up and then it almost bogs down. And, and even sometimes it goes out and you have to crank it up again. But you know, if you just keep doing that long enough, you turn around in the yard's mode. Now the house ain't fixed yet. But you one step closer. And now you know God's faithfulness. You could have gave up on me when I wanted to give up on the lawnmower. But you just said, hold on and keep doing it. And I turned around. And after some faithfulness of continuing going through the process, I now have a yard that's mowed. And then he says, now I'm going to enable you to paint it. And he find, you, you find supernatural provision for painting a roller and a paintbrush and you start rolling it and you know what you just want to do like you, you want we, we all do sometimes in this modern faith of ours we want to do like two swipes and God now in the name of Jesus get it painted cut it in for me I hate cutting in but he says no 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 I'm not going to do that I'm not because I would not love you the way that I should just keep the brush in your hand keep cutting in and the next thing you know you turn around and the house is painted now you got a clean yard now you got a house that's painted but the windows are still broke and he said oh man you know and somebody tells you your house is looking okay and there's always that critic now why are you paint something that lets that has broken up windows but now the carmine in the story looks at the person criticizing and say you didn't know me when it was when it had weeds over my head but God provided me the lawnmower and I provided the, the willingness to mow the yard and then he provided me paint. The same God that provided me paint and provided me the lawnmower going to provide me some windows. You just watch. And the next thing you know, you turn around and somebody's pulling up a truck with some windows. And now we want to do it again. God, in the name of Jesus, send some angels and put these windows in for me. 
But no, He empowers you to pick them up off the truck that was just simply supernaturally sent to you. And the next thing you know, you and God now have new windows, you have a fresh paint job, and your yard's mowed. And we have been praying the whole time for God to do it for us. And He says, no, I love you too much to do it for you. I'm going to do it with you. Because if I don't do it with you at the end of the day, you're going to say, God did all of this without any help from me. And, he, and I'm going to have to wait for him to do it again. We sing that sometimes. He'll do it again. Yeah, if you put your hand to a paintbrush. <laughs> but now Carmine has even a greater testimony. I know that I couldn't have done this without the supernatural enablement of God. And he is the source of all of the strength that has produced the results that I now covet. But it is through him that has taught me that I was valuable enough to be a part of the process. When my hand was about to give up, and put, throw the paintbrush down. There was a hand that went over my hand and said, let me stand on the ladder with you and just keep cutting in. And sometimes we just want miracle after miracle after miracle. The miracle is that God has not rejected you. He knows everything about you and still loves you anyway. That's the miracle. I know I'm going to throw you a curve and you may not be able to do it, but that uh, girl on that video from Bethel that has the toboggan on that talks about that song that you know me. Do you know the one? And sing it if you can. That is a curveball. Yeah, that's a big one. Just think about it and see if you can do it. If not, I'll tell them to just sh sh shuffle up there and they can play the YouTube. You want to try it or you want the YouTube? Huh. Let me get the, I can sing it if I got All right, I'm going to talk for a little bit. You and Dave get together. For all of you that had volunteered for communion, I'm probably going to have to do the same thing I did in first service because I really feel an urge to pray. And I've had to repent because we haven't had communion long enough or often enough. And we're going to have it next Sunday if the Lord should allow. But I won't diminish what we want to do by speeding it up and just going through the motions. I value it too much to do that. What if your life was like Saul and you, maybe you're the one that has said, I'm too far gone. I've done too much. No, you haven't. You're chosen. You're a chosen vessel. Maybe you're just as broken as that city in Isaiah 61 or as broken as the testimony of Nikki's. Maybe God's ready to send you a Boaz. Maybe He's ready to send you hope where you find yourself in a hopeless situation. I just want to pray with you. I'm going to pray and then I'm going to let Amy and David try to lead us in this song if they can. And then I'm going to come back and pray and invite you. I want our ministry team, as many as can. I know that we probably haven't planned this, but as many of that is a part of the ministry team, if you can, even if you're not assigned for this Sunday, if you could help us, JJ can kind of run with that while we're praying. Father, right now, for every broken life, 
that walked in this building feeling like I've done too much and I'm just outside the reach of an almighty God. Let them be reminded of the unedited story in Acts chapter 9. The guy that was still trying to get <coughs> capture and kill the people of faith was brought to the revelation of Jesus and that man become an apostle. And if you can do that in his life, I just wonder what you can do with ours. So Father, I believe people are going to get saved today. But I also believe that there's people that are already saved that have that house and that condition that we described. And they've been praying with all of their hearts. They've been praying for you to give them a new house in the neighborhood that's ruins. And they've wanted you to do it miraculously. And today is going to begin a process that will prove your faithfulness to each and every one of us. So, Father, as we sit here in your presence, not trying to rush this moment, we're going to worship you. We're going to lift up a name that is above every other name. And then we're going to participate with you. In Jesus' name, let's worship.